0: It's a privilege to be here with you. Um, I thought our theme verse should be, um, where two or three are gathered in his presence. He is in their midst. Um, We might need a camp on that verse. There's a story told of a circuit-riding preacher who rode up into camp one Sunday morning, and I guess there was a little chapel there, and he was waiting in the chapel, wondering if anybody would show up, and... One cowboy darkens the door and comes in and sits down and they chat for a little bit and they wait to see if anybody else is going to come and and the preacher says, so what do we do? Um, Should we have church or not? Just one. And the cowboy said, you know, if I went out to feed the cows and only one showed up, I would feed it. So the preacher took that as a cue and he launched into the message and really poured his heart out An hour and a half later, he finished off with the prayer and the cowboy said, but I wouldn't have given that cow a whole load. (laughs) So I want to talk to you about, um, I I shared this message um, at chapel um, over a month ago. And my apologies to my family and those that were there. Um, But I need it twice, so maybe you can forgive me. Um, Counting the costs. Counting the costs of discipleship. Um, Thinking of us as a church, you know, I think there's a need, and you look around this morning and it's become more evident, but we need to be a magnetic church. We need to be a church that is drawing people in, drawing people to Christ. And um, there's this term called seeker-friendly in today's churches. And um, what all that means, I'm not sure, but I I appreciate the sentiment behind it. Um, I would hope that our church is welcoming and warm and shows people the love of Jesus if they enter our doors. Um, Before I preached this message last time, I um, did something new. I read through the book of Luke, Red Words Only. That is a really um, powerful exercise. And I I started to do it again yesterday. I didn't get it completed, but um, it gives you a neat perspective of the message of Jesus. Um, every time you read some of his words, you know the story around it, but all you're focused on is his response. And it's really um, eye-opening. And one thing that I discovered is Jesus wasn't very secret friendly, at least by today's church um, standards. We never find Jesus eating bait and switch. Um, we'll invite him to church potluck or some... Um, special program with live music and if they enjoy it um, maybe we'll slip a little message gospel message in there and if they enjoy it then maybe they'll come back next Sunday and they'll warm up to the thing for Jesus we don't find him doing it that way Um, Jesus over and over put the price tag Back and center for the kingdom. Um, he put the cost of discipleship up front. Um, someone told Jesus, "I will follow you wherever you go." And Jesus said, "Foxes have holes, birds have nets, The Son of Man doesn't have a place to lay his head." In other words, I'm homeless. Are you sure you want to follow me? Jesus told somebody else, "Follow me." to which the individual responded, let me first go bury my father and after that I will um, follow you. In other words, I want to go receive my inheritance. I don't want to mess up my inheritance here. And then I'll follow you. Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. You come follow me. Um, Not very warm and fuzzy coming from Jesus. Very straightforward. Um, And to the poor, rich young ruler, who ran into Jesus after eternal life, Jesus said um, he um, made him face the cost of which he went away sad, feeling like the cost of eternal life was too much. Poor guy. The cost of eternal life was going to cost him too much. And there's two parables in the that I'm not going to read. I'll refer to them here. But the um, pearl of great price. Do you remember that story? Um, He sold everything in order to purchase that one pearl. Because he loved pearls. That was the most valuable possession. And then the parable of the um, treasure hidden in the field. You would do it too, I think. And I would. If you were walking across a piece of property that was... For sale, you couldn't afford it really, but you found the gold mine in the one ad. you sell everything you had and purchase that. Well, that's the way it is with the kingdom. Um, Jesus is clearly showing us that we must sell out in order to be a follower of him. Um, Turn your Bible to Luke 14. I'll read some verses there. I'll start reading in verse 25. Now, great multitudes went to him, and he turned and said to them If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife, children, brothers and sisters, and yet his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost whether he had enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build, but was not able to finish. Or what king going out to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able to with ten thousand meet him who comes to him with twenty thousand? Or else, while the other is A great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So, likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Cannot be my disciple. Verse 26 is quite shocking. Um, it says, um, if anyone comes after me and does not hate, and he lists his direct family members and his own life, cannot be my disciple. In essence, Jesus is strongly indicating that in order to be a disciple, our love, our one love for him needs to be such that it makes all our other loves Look like disdain or hatred. That is really intense calling for us Christians to have one love. Verse twenty seven is yet another mention of carrying cross with many. Um says, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be the right That is not a very secret friendly thing to tell somebody before they would um, come to church. Verse 28 to 32 um, talks about the um, the one building the tower and then also the condition of um, the, the situation with the two armies meeting each other, counting the cost, seeing if they have what it takes to finish Jesus clearly indicating that there is a cost to be counted carefully. In verse 33, it stood out to me like never before. It says, so likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all, all that he has cannot be my disciple." for all that He has. What does that look like? I mean, are we doing that? Am I doing that? So how would it work if we put a sign out by the front of our churches that said, everybody welcome, but first you must sign a document um, remitting your own ownership of all your possessions to the kingdom of God to be used by His purposes." and at his to Sign me up, right? Um, it costs to be a disciple. One thing I think that we as churches, and possibly, I think it's probably the greater church, it's not just us, as Mennonites, but we have dumbed down personal costs of the gospel. We have made it, yes, to paid the ultimate price. Yes, he died to save us. It is his finished work. But there's a transaction that I must, must take place in my life. I'm giving up everything in order to receive that. The scripture is plain, it's showing us that. We must make this transaction. I give up everything in order to receive Christ. Another thing that Jesus did that wasn't very secret friendly was. Walking in the wilderness, um, you didn't just follow him down State Boulevard on Paved Street. You may have to hunt it for a few hours to find him, and then you hope you'll start to death on the way back home at night. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask an important question here. Seeing Jesus' um, blessedness, its directness and putting the cost forward. Um, why? Why did the crowds stumble over one another to reach him? I think the answer is because Jesus is the treasure from heaven. He is that treasure in the field. He is that pearl of great price. When people saw him, they were drawn to him because they sense that he is life. He's, the, he's not even the essence of life. He is life. When he raised Lazarus from the dead, he didn't say... Um, he didn't call on another being to, all right, bring him to life now. No, it came forth from him to bring Lazarus back to life. He is life. People saw that. They were drawn to him as life. Jesus is love. He is holiness. He is power. He is all in all. He is the image of the Godhead bodily. And so you meet somebody like that, you need somebody like that, and you're just, you would. You want to be with that person. He is God. You want to know Him and make peace with Him and be filled with His love and be like Him. Not everybody had that response, but there were multitudes seeking Him. The scripture is clear. God is the one that does the drawing. God draws people to Himself. And I ask us, have we glimpsed that Jesus? Is He is my highest? Is He your highest? Is He your one love? Judge yourself. Is He your one love? Is He so supreme that you would give up anything to have more of Him? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in Him. Psalm thirty-four, eight. Is that you? Is that me? Are you so enamored with Christ that you give up anything for Him? Luke chapter nine. Turn there. Um, The cost. Verse 23 through 26. Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, I hope that's you, I hope that's me. If anyone desires to come after me, Jesus said, let him three things deny himself, take up his cross daily, And follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his fathers and of the holy angels." Those three things stood out boldly to me. Um, three things we must do to follow Jesus, okay? We must deny ourselves. Take up the cross and follow him. And they really need to happen in that order, okay? What does taking up the cross mean? The cross is the... Um, instrument of death. So, it's death of what? And I believe we find obscured in the next requirement the answer. What is death? It says, follow me. So, we'll unpack that for a second. If we really consider Jesus, his commandments, his teachings, and who he was, how he lived, his life example, it is clear to me that in order for me to follow that, something in me has to get out of the way. Something else has to go. Because I, by nature, am not that way. My nature, my natural state, I don't even go into it. But it's not like Jesus. So something has to get out of the way in order for me to be like Jesus. And so, to take up the cross at death, has to happen in order to follow Jesus. Following Jesus, walking His footsteps, obeying all of His commands and requirements, requires such a deep and radical change from our natural flesh. Something has to go. Something has to die. My fleshly desires and sins, And following Jesus cannot coexist. We can't beat around the bush on that one. I'd like to be direct as I can as the Spirit gives me freedom to be, but that those two may not coexist. A desire to please my flesh and live partially for my flesh and also partially for Christ. One or the other is going to die out. You cannot serve God in the flesh. Discipleship is extremely expensive. Um, It is. Discipleship is extremely expensive. I don't know if you knew this or thought about this when you said yes yes to the Lord when you were born again. Did you think about how expensive it was going to be? I hope so. And maybe the individual that started building the tower um, stopped after the foundations were down and went back to his to his office to started doing some calculations. Maybe that's where we are. We started and maybe it's time to do some calculations. Are we really in this? Is it really us? Are we real? Are we going to go through this to the end? Jesus doesn't, just, he's not okay with us just giving him our heart um, per se if in the way of believing in him. He wants our entire life. He wants our every penny in the bank. He wants our every possession to be under his lordship. He can tell tell, tell me to give up something and I just do it, okay? So listen, I'm preaching outside of my league here this morning. Um, if I had to only share things that I've conquered, they would be very short service. Um, but by the grace of God, I'm growing and wanting to grow, and as He gives me fruits, I want to share. So I, I I don't elevate myself at all in this regard, and I'm, I'm condemning myself by probably preaching messages like this, um, maybe asking for more trials or asking for tests. But the Lordship of Christ is so complete and so total. Um, we cannot hold back and call ourselves a disciple of His. So, yes, it's expensive, but first of all, we need to remember why we would go through with it. Why would we go through this expensive discipleship? Um, when you compare the gain with the loss, this expensive program is really a good deal it's a really good deal when you consider the gain of Christ what I have to lose okay what do I have to lose my identity well, I like my identity it's just me um, the way I feel what I think I respect this whatever you know uh, what people think of me. Um, another thing I lose is my right. A little trample on my right. Um, my possessions. It's my stuff. I like it. I worked hard for it. Um, what's the game? Christ. The treasure. The treasure of Christ. Now, I have to... Um, on this for just a second. You can think with me as I think about this, because I just listed some valuable things in my life that I kind of—they're naturally valuable to each one of us. Those, those things, but when I can put it on a scale of Christ, do I have to put a finger on the scale to make Christ more valuable here on Sunday morning? Or is it like really, is Christ like really more real, valuable to you than? It's things on the other side of the scale. And I have to say of myself that if Christ isn't of more value to me, his kingdom and his filling, then my identity and rights and religious, then I need revival. those three things mentioned in the verse where it says, um, deny himself, take up the cross daily, and follow me. That's if anybody wants to come after me. Those three things, they need to be in that order. Denying myself must come first um, before taking up the cross. Is logical because taking up a cross you can't do it without saying no to the flesh. Taking up the cross is saying yes to suffering and the price tag. Taking up the cross, you know, cross bearing is is um. A bit use in some life of, of applicate what people call cross bearing. Um, I would I would like to clarify it is this: is saying yes to suffering that the Lord would give us or ask of us, and saying yes to the price tag. And Jesus says, "Follow me," and that's when life gets interesting, and we we'll start following Him. Something else that stood out to me while reading Jesus' words and read, was this command. Jesus says, I'll just list a few and I'll miss a bunch probably. Jesus says, repent. Do not be afraid. Be merciful. Love your enemies. Forgive. Watch and pray. Give. Lend. Preach the gospel. Judge not. The this, you could go on, but these are a few. Jesus says we must follow him. What does that look like? I believe that following Jesus is actually living out his commands. And I was kind of baffled yesterday. I didn't get all the way through the book of Luke. But the commands of Jesus are so Invasive into my life, I was feeling quite um, ashamed of myself and humbled by many of the commands of Jesus that I, what, ignore? I don't know. I, I, um, I try to obey, um, I think, but they are so, there, there's a um, totality to the commands of Jesus. They affect everything, not just this little portion of life, not just this little portion of life. It is, um, in my life, it's global. John 15, 14 says, you are my friend if you believe in me, no, if you say you Follow me knows if you do whatever I command. Is this a work based gospel? Absolutely not. We are not saved out of our obedience, we are obedient because we're saved. And listen, here's the truth you cannot follow Jesus. You cannot be a disciple without his power. That's why it's not a workspace gospel, because if it was workspace, then it, you could look at the New Testament teachings of Jesus and just go out and do it without repentance. If that's even possible. To go out and, and love and be merciful and love your enemies and watch and pray and give and land and preach and judge not and submit. None of that saves you. You wouldn't even be able to do those things without the power of God. So, the presence of God in our life gives us the power to follow Jesus. I believe it's possible to follow all the commands of Jesus in this life, not on our strength, but on the power of the Holy Spirit. John sixteen seven says, "Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you." We have a Helper in the Holy Spirit. Do we know His voice? Do we feel His? Presence, the Holy Spirit's presence. Do you know Him in your prayer closet? Do you feel the Spirit leading you in prayer? Do you find Him speaking to you when you're reading the Word? Do you find His nudging when you're tempted with sin? Do you find Him nudging you to speak encouragement to somebody for some random reason? You don't know why. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Does he tell you what you should do in really intricate family situations. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. There is no way that I can follow Jesus the way he's commanded without his power and his Holy Spirit filling me. And there's no excuse to not follow him because he's given it a gift. The Father has given the Holy Spirit to us as a gift so that we can live out his commandments. filled with the power. What does Paul mean? In 2 Timothy 3.5, it says, Having a form of godliness, but denying its power, from such turn away. It's talking about individuals in the church. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power, from such turn away. That's a little bit of a sobering thought, because okay, what does that look like? Well, it's a big camouflage because there's a form there. There is a form of godliness. There is coming a judgment. That's one of the things that stood out to me Um, in Jesus' words is judgment. He repeatedly brings up judgment. And we don't like to talk about judgment today. Hell is to do. We don't want to... Fearmonger and cause people in to tear people into the kingdom, but Jesus talked about judgment a lot. Um, 1 Peter four seventeen says, "For the time has come for judgment to begin in the house of God, and if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God?" I used to cringe at that verse. I thought judgment was for the world. You know, the end times when God's stand, standing, sitting in his holy throne, he's judging the earth. was he going to start with the church members first? I didn't really appreciate that. Well, I think I have a better understanding of what that means. Judgment for the church is now. Jesus judges no one. His word comes forth, and his word judges us. Just the presence of his word. So here's the judgment. You and I, in this life, can read the word and find where we don't measure don't up. And we can change. Before the white throne judgment. That's the judgment that has come to the church now. Is we have the privilege, God's mercy, of looking into his word, judging our lives, and making changes and repenting now so that we don't have to face the white throne judgment in the end. But judgment is coming. Um Jesus actually spoke more about hell than he did about heaven in the New Testament. Um said something pretty sobering about the church judgment. Turning now to Matthew chapter seven. Verse twenty one through twenty three. Th- these verses really concern me, okay? They burden me, so. Hear that as we read. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does, this is actual word, does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wondrous works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Another actual word. Practice lawlessness. Judgment is based on fruit, not profession. You can't become a Christian without profession, but then in the end, when we're judged. we're judged on the fruit that came out of our life, the fruit that came out of that professional, because the fruit never lies. You know, there's fake spirit giftings all day long, but there's never fake spiritual fruit. That's why on judgment we're judged by our fruit. What came out of our life? But it says, not everyone, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, are cause him Lord. I just read a verse um, yesterday that Jesus said, why do you call me the Lord if you don't do the things I tell you? To? Isn't that what Lordship it is? It's I tell you what to do, then you do it. That's what Lordship is. And he said, I'm not making you be my disciple. I'm not forcing you to be my disciple. I'm not a slave owner. I just, I teach from the Father, give you love, I give you word and truth. And it's up to you to respond to that and follow that if you like. But don't call me Lord if you don't do what I say. And that message is us today. It's, it's, it's a clear um, offense to the Lord. He says, On judgment day, many will have said, Lord, Lord. And yet, on day of judgment, he said, I don't know you. You were one of those who called me about that word, Lord, Lord, but you didn't do it. Like, it was just verbiage for you. It wasn't real. Those final words, to depart from me, you who practice lawlessness." Lawless, I don't know if you can place yourself in judgment just a little bit think about all of our weakness and our blindness will be stripped away into clear vision standing before the Holy Father on judgment day, before the throne. And for Him to say, Depart from me, depart from me, you chose this way, you chose it, it was your choice. Those words. Are very heart words, and I hope that none of us here or listening in will ever have to face that on judgment day. But the choice is now, it's not then, it's now. Will we follow the Lord in, obedient, in obedience to His Word? The word lawlessness says, practices, um, Depart from me to those who practice. Lawlessness. lawlessness. basically means to live as if God did not give us a, a law to live by. Just completely ignoring it. There are many examples of Scripture um, of judgment where all appeared to be the same until comparing the fruit. So, The parable of the wheat and the tares, sower the good seed, and then the enemy planted wheat, and the weeds were, they looked similar to wheat, until the time of the harvest, or, or getting close to the time of the harvest, when the fruit was coming on, the difference started to appear. They looked the same for a while. Um... The tree that didn't bear fruit was cut down and cast in fire. But before the harvest time, those trees looked very similar. They had leaves, they were healthy, but it was when like it came time to look for fruit, that's when the difference showed up. The ten virgins, they looked identical. All of them were there together, their lamps were burning, until judgment. And then, the separation. Um, the separation of the sheep and the goats, clearly... The sheep were unaware of actually serving Jesus. And clearly, the goats were surprised when they were set apart from the sheep. They didn't see the difference. And a real-life example is Jesus' spirit. None of the disciples knew his heart. Remember the Last Supper? Jesus says one of you will be crazy, And they answered said, Judas. No, they didn't. They said, is it I? Is it I? Is it I? They were deeply concerned that maybe it possibly could be me. I don't want to do that, but I don't know my heart. And they didn't know it was going to be Judas. He was one of them. He was one of the best of them. He took care of the money box. He um, did alms for the poor. And, and um, he served. Um, so judgment is coming. And we need to be ready. We need to be certain that we are ready. Now, I, I know the subject of judgment in hell is Unsettled and there needs to be balance. The tension between giving only comfort and encouragement or only judgment and repentance. Um, but I believe that, um, okay, I don't want to scare anybody that or cause doubts in the heart of anybody that has a love of the Lord. And, and they are following the Lord. But at the same time, if somebody is falling asleep at the wheel while driving, to disturb them a little bit, it's a loving thing to do. And I believe that we're living in end times. And I believe that um, we it's time high time to wake up and be serious about our faith and about our walk with the Lord. Touching on unity briefly here. Um, Unity is something that Christians desire. It brings peace. It honestly brings power. Um, If we're unified, we can move toward common goals much better and get much further than if we're unified. I think you all agree with me there. My brother, Michael, preached um, this past chapel, uh, past Sunday at chapel, and he spoke on unity. Um, and he says that he has discovered that unity is not something in itself that we should seek in the church. Sounds odd um, to say that. The world seeks after unity. Um, They try to unify the nations. They try to um, neutralize and unify on um, acceptance of sin. Um, Then there's groups that are all unified on golf. They have... um, Then there's sports. There's, there's, There's different levels of which they can enjoy... The blessing of unity. They get together and they feel happy and they encourage each other. But that is, that is a beautiful thing, but it's not the front and center goal of a Christian, of a church. Unity in the church is automatic when one digs up the cross of Jesus. Unity comes when people accept the Christ's day of salvation, of discipleship give up their own will and desire to the worship of Christ. Unity is automatic. When we come to the Lord, saying yes to Christ, saying no to my flesh, and yes to His worship, that is what brings unity. And that is what our church needs. Do you realize the impact that a church has when they're all walking in the commandments of the Lord Jesus filled with the Spirit. That kind of unity has power. You know, thinking of us as disciples of Jesus, Um, The cost is high. um, And we as Christians look and act differently. We live differently than the world. But if we had a church like that, people would probably be falling over one another to come to the light. That is the drawing that God wants to do. It's because we are a people that are like Him. The same element that people were drawn to there in Palestine and in, in Jerusalem, when Jesus walked, can be here in lives that are broken and filled with Him. We are His hands and feet, we are His love. And I don't mean really to tell you about our lost and dying world that's burning up its cities and, and floundering in addictions. You know. But we are the only salt and light left in this earth. And we better be serious. We better get really serious about our our lives Um, to do and to be available for the work. You know, we're we're close to the highway here. Our light can, we we live and move amongst people. Um, I think we are a light. I know we are a witness in the community here, but I'm pretty certain that we fall short. And we don't have any excuses because the Lord has given us all things for life Godliness. I don't know how to wrap up or challenge it exactly, but um, a church is made up of individuals who are deeply rooted, are supposed to be deeply rooted and grounded in the Lord Jesus and filled with His Spirit, living out His teachings. That's what a church is supposed to be. And yes, I know a healthy family has grandpa and father and son and. Grandbabies, because there's every level of maturity. But we, we as a church need to be more filled with him and to be revived in these end times. The, the world is looking for hope. The world is looking for Jesus. And we can, we are supposed to be, his hands of heat and his life um, to this lost world. Um, who knows? We may be heading into some dark times in which people will be coming in and asking us questions. Where is this hope? What hope do you have since the economy is crashing and um, our lives are shambled? What hope do we have to offer? I hope, I hope that our hope is not built on the things in this world on the Lord Jesus. God bless you.